Good morning, 1548 Heights, members and guests online and in person, grace and peace to you in abundance. I'm so glad to see you. Angela and I were out of town last week in West Texas visiting her sister and brother-in-law, kind of saying goodbye to them, but it's always so good to be back with you. I've enjoyed seeing each of you this morning as you came in. You know, uh, there's one I always just love to see. I think it's safe to say that he's our senior member. That's Gene Johnson. Gene, would you raise your hand there? I have a new, I have a new title for Gene, the most dapper man in the Heights. Okay? He just looks awesome. But Gene, I was so inspired. Look what I wore for you today. All right? So good. When I, when I was coming into the church building this morning, uh, Carla... Uh, Minnick was out exercising, and, and she said, uh, do you have a good message today? How do you answer that? <laughs> yes, yes. No, 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 don't worry about it, just skip. Uh, and then she came in later, and she said, I want you to know I'd come even if it was a bad message, okay? So that's always good to know, you know, that doesn't all depend on the message. At 1548 Heights, our mission is to be a a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. That's, that just says it all. What we're about is tr- seeking transformation among ourselves and being a transforming force for God and for good in people's lives and in the world. Today, I am going to preach another standalone message. I've, I know I've been telling you that I'm going to start a series but I was thinking, you know, do I really want to start a series on Labor Day weekend? I mean, no one's going to be here. No offense. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of, kind of a holiday weekend. and We got the blood drive going. And, and then the decision became easy for me because I was doing sort of my regular Bible reading. And I came across a passage that just really spoke to me and caught my attention. And I thought, boy, that's got to... That's got a good message in it, and so I will start a series next week that I invite you to come to called Encountering Jesus, but today we're going to look at a passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 15. You should have received a bulletin when you came in, and there's an outline there if you find it helpful to follow along and fill in some blanks. That helps you kind of stay on track, and if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Peter 1 verse 3 through 15, as we unpack the word of the Lord together. I want to say a word about the, the context of this passage. You know, we, we tend to think that early Christians, early church, were just sort of enduring constant persecution. That really wasn't the case. It was more in waves. And there's no indication that when Peter writes the second epistle to the Christians scattered around the Mediterranean area and the communities of faith, that there's persecution going on. And so the question becomes, well, why write it? Why, why send a letter out to be read and um, listened to in the communities of faith that are scattered abroad? And I think because, partly at least, he's addressing something that is common to all Christians, And I will say that I don't think Peter or Paul knew they were writing Scripture. They weren't thinking this is going to be read through time thousands of years from now. But he, he loved 
the people he was writing to, and I think in the timeless way that Scripture has, this speaks to us today. And so I hope and pray that this message, uh, the, the words that we're going to sort of focus on and the words that I speak about it will, will be a ministry to you today. And so let's read 2 Peter 1, 3 through 15. Listen to the word of the Lord. Peter says right before this, To those who may grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so I think he's speaking here of God, the Father. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust. And may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. Though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you, I think it right as long as I am in this body to refresh your memory, since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Thanks be to God for his word and for his living word, Jesus Christ. Peter addresses something that is common to all Christians, all communities of faith through all time. And here it is, the first sort of piece of unpacking this passage. Life can be tedious and our faith can grow tired. Life can be tedious and our faith can grow tired. Peter is writing not because of any particular circumstance. He's going to warn later about false teaching and things like that. But it's just a reality of life that our faith can grow tired. And we need replenishment and encouragement. And as you heard that passage, maybe you were thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got, to, I've got to develop faith and goodness and patience and all these things, and you're almost feeling burdened. I, I mean, I've been there, right? You just, it's like being flogged like a mule, you know, work harder, be more for Jesus. No, no, no. When you unpack this, you'll see it's not about that at all. And so with this reality that life can be tedious and our faith can grow tired, Peter reminds us of the beautiful gifts we have received in Christ. 
Isn't it interesting? He said, I've, I've sought to remind you so much of the Christian life is simply being reminded. It's not necessarily hearing anything new or learning anything. It's just being reminded. He says, so this can refresh you. And Peter reminds us of the beautiful gifts we have received in Christ. And I want to just unpack these three particular gifts that we have through our faith in Jesus Christ and through what God has done for us in Him. And the first gift is God's power. God's power. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Isn't that an extraordinary statement? God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. It's all there, God promises us. I have equipped you. I have poured into you my power. That's an extraordinary promise. You know, I ran a a quotation in the midweek bulletin or newsletter last week or so, which means none of you read it. We do that so that none of you will read, that we send it out so that none of you read it. No, some of you do, I understand. It says something like this, can we be faithful on our own? Of course not. If we could, we'd give ourselves all the credit. It is only through the power of God in Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that we can live faithfully. And so, Peter says, the first gift I want to unpack for you is that God has given you power in him. There's a point in in Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he he just kind of erupts in, in a doxology, a word of praise. You know, our understanding is that the Apostle Paul dictated these letters, and I kind of picture him pacing around, you know, and all of a sudden he just kind of erupts in the scribes trying to get all this. And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth has taken its name. And I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being, listen, with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, where was I then? Uh, Okay, I mean, three times he says, I want you to know that in Christ you have this power from God and and you're not on your own. Angela ordered me to listen to an audio book recently on marriage. Oh, Lord. (laughs) When your wife says, I want you to listen to an audio book on marriage, you sort of, oh, boy, here we go. You know, Uh, but she said that, obviously, because we can all hear things that we ought to strive to be and do better, et cetera, but that wasn't the reason. It it was such an extraordinary story. I want to show you the book here. 
It's called How to Stay Married, the Most Insane Love Story Ever Told by Harrison Scott Key. And as a matter of fact, I just read a book by him, maybe his first book, I think, which was just tremendous. He has this, it was about his father and kind of struggling, their struggle to connect. And he has this ability to be hilarious at the same time he's being poignant and thoughtful. And so if you've ever listened to an audiobook that you just love, you're trying to find ways to drive more because I always do that in my car. Have you ever thanked God for traffic? You know, and so I was just driving around listening to this. But without giving you the whole story, because you are going to listen to it, I know, uh, he and his wife experience a betrayal and a great deal of pain and tumult in their marriage. And they had every reason to call it quits. And both of them wanted to call it quits. And the only thing that could really rescue their marriage was forgiveness. And they weren't, you know, terribly fervent Christians, churchgoers and all, but it became more and more apparent to him as he writes about this that all their options were off the table except for God. Except for God. And it just happened, if you will, <laughs> that God gave them the power to forgive and to seek reconciliation. And it is really just a beautiful story. I mean, so messy and just full of the angst of life, you know. <laughs> life is not antiseptic. Life is messy and hard and gross sometimes and it just oh just beautifully unfolds all that and I would say that what saved their marriage is God's divine power and this is one of the beautiful gifts God promises us that he's given us now the second gift Peter mentions is God's promises God's promises thus he has given us through these things, his precious and very great promises. Oh. You know, when you read the Bible, when you read the New Testament, when you read the epistles, there are so many promises if you think to look for them. It's like God is saying, I love you, I have pursued you. I want you to count on me for this. I am promising that. I am assuring you this. I mean, it, it's really striking. Matthew chapter 6, we've got a, a guest today who loves Matthew 6. He and I have joked about it. Not joked, but said, hey, it's a great chapter. Uh, Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. What will you what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you will wear? He says, is not life more than food, clothing and food and drink and your body more than what you wear? And he says, listen, God is going to provide for you. He's going to provide you. If he, if he provides for the grass of the field, will he not much more provide for you? 
And if he provides uh, food for the birds, will he not much more provide for you? And Jesus ends by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You will have what you need and you will even have much of what you want. That's my promise. And then Romans chapter 1, oh my goodness, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise, friends. And then he says about the Spirit, and sometimes we don't even know how to pray as we ought, but that Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. That's a promise. You are not alone in your prayers. And then he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Not death, not injuries, not hardships, not this and that. I mean, he just sort of empties himself of anything he can think of. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's a promise. And so Peter says, God has given you these promises to help you grow into the faith and goodness and patience and self-control that will radiate all his goodness through you. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, God's promise is this. Eternal life, eternal life, that's it. That's all John says, this. And so friends, we have been given great promises from God as well as great power from God. And third, the third thing Peter mentions is God's participation. God's participation. So that through them you may escape the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. Isn't that an extraordinary statement? Participants in the divine nature. Try that out at a cocktail party. <laughs> How are you doing, uh, Jacob? Good, I'm participating in the divine nature. Yeah, what did you take today? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, but that's a, that's a theological statement. When, when we hear about being united with Christ through our baptism in his death and resurrection, raised with him into eternal life, there, there is a uniting. Those words, by the way, in the original are all sort of constructed together. Uh, united with him. Crucified with him. Raised with him. We are united with Christ. Union with Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a promise. That's, a, that's an incredible thing to know that we have received and can receive. Listen how Paul puts it in Philippians 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, Paul means because there is this, not if, any compassion and sympathy make my joy complete by being in the same mind, being of the same heart, cooperating with one another, considering others more better than yourselves. Have the same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But look, he says any sharing in the Spirit. That means any participation in the Spirit. We, we participate in God's Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus when we put our faith in him. That word for sharing and the word for participation is the word koinonia, which you know, is usually translated fellowship. And when we, we, we read fellowship, we think casseroles. <laughs> or brisket. Can we all say an amen for the brisket we had two weeks ago? Oh, gosh. 
It was almost a spiritual experience, wasn't it? But all friends, fellowship is not casserole. It's not even brisket, man. It is deep stuff. Sharing in the divine nature, sharing in, in, in the risen Christ, sharing in the Holy Spirit whom God has poured out on those whom he loves. And so Peter says, oh, these magnificent gifts. So how would I summarize this? I want to just tell you about my reading, which caused me to sort of think, wait, I need to unpack this passage. I was just kind of reading along, you know. And there was a phrase that I noticed over and over in this little passage. And in my particular translation of the Bible, it was translated, make every effort. Make every effort. Make every effort. And I started to feel like, wow, you know, Peter's really harping on this. Make every effort or be all the more eager. And I'm like, man, what's going on here? And so I thought, I'm going to start, I'm going to dig into this and, and share that with my congregation. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't sight read Greek, you know. I took it 30 years ago, but I got some tools, you know, and I can unpack them. And, and, and th- there's this verb here, which also has a noun form and all that, but spudazzo. You think, yeah, I had that at the fellowship meal, spudazzo. But it means to hasten, to, to give an effort, to um, give it, give something of yourself. And so here's how it was rendered in, in my Bible. Let's go back, David. Go back. No, one right there, spude, yeah, spude. For this reason, make every effort to support your faith with goodness. Be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. And he says, and I will make every effort too. And so here's what Peter is saying. Peter urges us to be eager and make the effort. Peter urges us to be eager and make the effort. God has given us all these gifts. It's not up to us alone. Uh, Even when the message is bad, as Carla said, (laughs) you know, God is pouring out. God is working. And, uh, wow, when we can summon eagerness and effort, things can happen. Which brings me to uh, a book that the Tuesday night book study group, small group, is, is talking about this, this go-round. Here's a picture of it. Here, it's called Befriending Our Desires by Philip Sheldrake. And it's basically about this. God gives us desire. Some of our desires aren't healthy or beneficial or good or God-pleasing. But the reason we have desire is because of how God made us. And desire isn't something only to be suspicious of. It's something to be listened to. And you've heard me say that if you want to know God's will about something, part of your discernment is asking, what do I want to do? What is my desire? That's the, that's the single most frequent thing Jesus says to people. What do you want me to do for you? Tell me your desire, and I'll start there. And uh, he talks about eros love. You know, we're, 
many of us are familiar with phileo love, friendship love, philanthropy, etc. And then agape love, the big one, self-giving love, the love of Jesus. And eros love, from which we get erotic, and we usually, we usually think about sexual love. Oh, well, that's not for Christians. No, no. Eros is this energy within us that causes us to want and to desire and to strive. And so, don't just discard that. Examine it. Utilize that. And here's some things that Sheldrake talks about. Do you see God as static? Well, God is not static. God is dynamic. Maybe that's where you're stuck. Are you stuck in a spirituality of duty only? Got to do my duty. Flog the mule. Summons the desire. Or can you think about a spirituality of love? Do you see desire, eros, as an obstacle to overcome or also as a sign of deep yearning? Wow. Wow. And so when Peter says, make every effort, be all the more eager, I think he's, he's touching on this. Not that he's referencing this directly, but there, there are things in you which, which God can bring out. And, and, and Sheldrake says this, to desire fully to be with Jesus is to allow oneself to risk sharing who Jesus really is, sharing in that, and thus in a process of stripping away more superficial desires. Can we approach God and say, you know what? I'm risking that you're going to take away or weaken some of the desires that I really hold on to. But I have to trust that you are going to or you're going to alert me to those that are better and deeper. And then he says this. Next one. At the heart of all of us is a center that is a meeting point where our deepest desires, our deepest desires, and God's desiring in us connect and are then found to coincide. And I think that is what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 37, verse 4, when he says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. The two come together. In closing, para terminar, <laughs> this is a picture of the little default slide I've been using. Someone has tried to render the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, okay? You can't render the Trinity, right? Is that, can we all agree on that? Is everybody awake? Is it all Okay. There's some grapes in back. I find them very invigorating. Um, but why, the reason why I love this picture is because look at the dynamism. This is not static. God the Father is alive. Jesus the Son is alive. The Holy Spirit is alive. They are in a dance of divine union and cooperation and sharing. And Peter is saying they have poured out that on each of us in Christ Jesus and through the Spirit. And so, be eager. Be eager. Make an effort. Meet God. I mean, things can happen. And he says, I know you get tired. I know you get tired. We all get tired. I promise you, God has refreshment for you in these promises. I pray that will be the case for you, friends.
Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you pour out on us such gifts in love. And we are not alone. And you, you, you even inculcate in us desires that give our life energy and meaning and purpose. And so we pray that as we come to you, as we meet you in the love of your son, Jesus Christ, in that circle where your desires and our desires meet, we can delight ourselves in you, Lord. And you give us the desires of our heart. In the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.